before have we had such a blessed opportunity to build the more perfect union of our founders' dreams. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is the true genius of America. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We dare not forget today that we are the heirs of that first revolution. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. We'll light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! We are free at last! America, we have come so far. We have seen so much. But there's so much more to do. In early 1797, General Napoleon Bonaparte was camped in northern Italy, seeking a pathway into the Austrian heartland. He had spent the last two years subduing the Papal States and fending off repeated assaults from a coalition of Italian and Austrian forces while laying siege to 18,000 coalition forces he had trapped in Mantua. Some years previously, in 1793, the French government had passed a resolution calling for an end to the Papal States and the Papal government. Having conquered and annexed the Papal States and signed a peace treaty with the Vatican, Napoleon was reticent to exert himself to capture the Pope and fully abolish the Papal government. It was a distraction from the real threat, which was Austria. And in February 1797, Pius VI was deathly ill. No one expected him to recover. All Napoleon had to do was wait for him to die and it would be easy to simply interrupt the election of a new pope and proclaim a Roman Republic in place of the Holy See. So why exert oneself needlessly when the Austrians were a lethal threat that were constantly harassing his forces? To accomplish his purpose of bringing an end to the papal government, Napoleon had stationed a small deployment of French troops under Brig- Brigadier General Marthurian Leonard Dufot and his older brother, Ambassador Joseph Bonaparte, in Rome. Dufot was engaged to Joseph Bonaparte's sister-in-law, and the day before the wedding, the 28th of December, 1797, a riot broke out in Rome when Dufot and Joseph hosted a revolutionary celebration. Many of the rioters were calling for an end of the papal government, some even basing their claims on the end of the 42-month prophecy of Revelation 13 that was due to be fulfilled the following year with the end of Vatican political power. Now, just days away, This was a calculation that had been made by a significant number of Bible scholars from the 16th century onwards and was seemingly well known. Dufault led a small contingent of French troops to put down the riot, which then clashed with papal troops. In the melee, Dufault was shot dead. 
a day before his wedding and becoming a part of the Bonaparte family. This was an incitement that Napoleon could not ignore. And on the 10th of February, 1798, Napoleon's General Berthier marched into Rome. He was met with no resistance as the majority of the population saw him as a liberator. Pius VI was taken prisoner and sent into France, held captive by a Huguenot regiment where he died in exile. Now, why was this important? And what does it have to do with the rise to power of the United States? Well, to understand that question, we must go back to events that took place in the city of Rome 1,260 years previously, the 42 months of the prophecy of Revelation 13. For decades leading up to this, both the church and the Roman Empire had been riven by division and strife. Constantine had moved the capital of the empire from Rome to the city of Constantinople, leaving a political power vacuum in Europe. The bishops of Rome, Carthage, Constantinople and others had been quarrelling over who was the preeminent bishop. Justinian was the ruling emperor and he devised a strategy to restore the unity of the empire once and for all. He would proclaim the bishop of Rome, the bishop of the entire world, and bestow on him the political powers that had been held by the emperors in the West. The decree was made in 533, but it was of no effect. The Ostrogoths had conquered Rome and ruled there, and found the criminal act of simony, that is, the purchase of positions of power, rife within the church. They moved to control the election of bishops, finally bypassing the church and appointing a man of their own choosing. Silverius to the position of Pope in 536. Justinian could not let this stand and sent an army under his general Belisarius to liberate the city of Rome. Having driven the Ostrogoths from the city in the year 538, Silverius was deposed, imprisoned, exiled and then executed. Justinian's appointment, a man by the name of Virgilius, took his place as both a religious leader of the church and a political cheater, a political leader of the Western Empire. And with this event, history turned the page and the medieval period began. In his book, Greece Under the Romans, George Findlay stated it this way, The reign of Justinian is more remarkable as a portion of the history of mankind than as a chapter in the annals of the Roman, of the Roman Empire or of the Greek nation. The changes of centuries pass in rapid succession before the eyes of one generation. With the conquest of Rome by Belisarius, the history of the ancient city may be considered as terminating. And with his defense against Witigus in 538 commences the history of the Middle Ages. Edward King in Morsels of Criticism states, he entered the city on the 10th of the preceding December in triumph in the name of Justinian, Emperor of the East. Leaving thenceforward from AD 538, no power in Rome that could be said to rule over all the earth, excepting the ecclesiastical pontifical power. Bible says, it would be 1,260 long dark years. We find it right here in Revelation 13 and verse 5, the prophecy of 42 months. The Bible uses the day for year principle. And that adds up to 1,260 
long dark years, before the world would drag itself kicking and screaming through a series of bloody revolutions out of the dark ages and into the modern era. It was the actions of Napoleon that signaled the change. Political power was established in the church in 538. It was removed in 1798 when Napoleon took the Pope prisoner, abolished the papal government and proclaimed a Roman Republic in its place. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. You see, there wasn't a single country, not even devoutly Roman Catholic Spain, that even turned a hair when these events took place. Imagine if that happened today. Imagine if the Prime Minister of France sent a general down into Rome took the Pope prisoner, abolished the Vatican and declared a Roman Republic in its place. Imagine how many countries would come to the end, come to the aid of the Vatican today. Describing these events, Leroy Leroy Froome in The Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers states, when the news of the defeat reached Paris, Director Merlin declared that for 14 centuries there had been cumulative demand for the destruction of this power. Bordas actually held a funeral oration of the papacy. This, of course, needs to be understood in the context of the French Revolution. Joseph Rickaby in The Modern Papacy stated, it looked as if the papacy was dead. In fact, Europe thought the papacy was dead. George Trevor in Rome from the fall of the Western Empire stated, the papacy was extinct. Not a vestige of its existence remained and among all the Roman Catholic powers, not a finger was stirred in its defence. The eternal city had no longer prince or pontiff. Its bishop was a dying captive in foreign lands and the decree was already announced that no successor would be allowed in his place. Wow, imagine how that deadly wound is healed between then and now in a little over 200 years. But while one nation was receiving a fatal wound. That fatal wound was a signal that another was rising to power. Slowly at first, and on distant shores, unrecognised and unknown in a land sparsely inhabited and almost totally undeveloped, a superpower was being born. Far out of sight of the civilized world, an idea of freedom from tyranny was beginning to take root, and it was happening in North America. Bible expositors had been looking for the rise of this nation. They knew it was coming, but America was so obscure and so unlikely that no one thought to look there. A few years previously, John Wesley in his New Testament with explanatory notes had stated in 1754, another beast. But he is not yet come, though he cannot be far off, for he is to appear at the end of the 42 months of the first beast. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13 and let's look at what the Bible says here. Revelation 13, a quick review from our last presentation, begins with a beast that rises out of the sea. It comes to the end of this beast when it receives a deadly wound. That beast, of course, refers to the church that ruled over the world during the Dark Ages and formed the environment that America was created from as a reaction to. The Bible says in 
Revelation 13 at verse 8, that the world will worship him. And then it says in verse 10, he that leads into captivity. And of course, there was tremendous persecution of people of any other faith during those dark ages. He that leads into captivity will go into captivity. He that kills with a sword will be killed with a sword. Here is the patience of the saints. And now watch this. And I saw another beast, a beast in Bible prophecy. We discovered it in our last presentation is a symbol of a nation. I saw another nation rising out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. Now, the Bible says that the first one rises out of the sea. Revelation 17 verse 15 defines the sea as being peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. Here you've got one rising out of the earth. That's going to be the opposite. That's going to be a a portion of the world that is sparsely populated. Rises out of the earth, the Bible says, has two horns like a lamb. But what I want you to know is that is specifically significant is this. And that is when the Bible says that this nation is going to rise to power. The Bible says that this nation will rise to power as the other one is losing its power. Let's notice it again. He that leads into captivity will go into captivity. Vatican had reigned over the world for 1260 years. It had lost its political power in 1798. Bible says he that killed with a sword must be killed with a sword. The Vatican received a fatal wound in 1798 and the entire world didn't even stir in its defense. They did not expect the Vatican to recover. No one thought it could recover from this. The Bible then goes on, and I beheld another beast rising up out of the earth. Notice what is happening here. As one beast is going down into captivity, the other is rising to power. In these two points, the Bible has just given you the most two most critical points of identification that it can. It has given you the time period in which a new nation will rise to power, and it has given you the geographical location in which those events will take place. The Bible has pointed out that this power will arise on or around 1798 and that it will do so somewhere in the new world, not the old world, somewhere that is sparsely populated, where there are few established nations. Now, I want you to notice what happens if you go to the United States around the year 1798. The Bible describes a process of rising to power. And in 1776, in the United States, you have the Declaration of Independence. Then in 1787, the Constitution is voted. In 1788, the Constitution is ratified. In 1789, the first president is elected. In 1791, the Bill of Rights is adopted. And in 1798, the United States has general recognition as a nation. And of course, during that period, you have the Revolutionary War that establishes right on time, right in the right place, a new nation. 
But that's not all the Bible has to say about the United States. We could identify the United States just on those two identifying characteristics right there because those two identifying characteristics eliminate any other possibility. You know, we think of our own nation and we think, yes, Australia's great, but we didn't come along until 1901. We were way out of time to be a fulfillment of this prophecy. And that might not be such a bad thing as you continue to read. The Bible says that he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. When the Bible describes this particular entity here having two horns like a lamb, what is the lamb a symbol of in the Bible? Well, we all understand that. A lamb is a symbol of Jesus Christ. And so we understand immediately here that we have a nation that is established on Christian principles of government. So what do Christian principles of government look like? Well, Jesus said, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. Jesus described two separate powers, the church and the state, and he told us not to confuse those two together. Well, the United States was born with two horns like a lamb, one for the church and one for the state, and they were to be separate from each other. Two different powers in one nation, separation of church and state, a new idea, something the world had not seen before, an idea that grew from a seed as they looked at what had been happening in Europe over the last 1,260 years when church and state had been united together. And they said, let's not make this mistake. Let's base our nation on the principles of Jesus Christ. Here you have the establishment prophesied of a nation on Christian principles of government. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible goes on and says that he spoke like a dragon. Here you have a nation established on Christian principles of government, but speaking like a dragon. Well, how does a dragon speak? That's a really valid question. To understand how a dragon speaks, we must remind ourselves, who does the dragon symbolize? And you're all going to say, once again, well, the dragon is a symbol of Satan. I'm going to remind you, yes, the dragon is a symbol of Satan, but Satan works through earthly powers and earthly nations. The Bible gives you a definition for the dragon in Revelation chapter 12 and tells you which earthly nation the dragon is symbolizing. The Bible says... Here in uh, verse 4, that the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It was the Roman Empire that tried to destroy Jesus at the time of his birth. And when you go to Revelation chapter 13 and speaking about the first nation here, where the Bible describes the church of the dark ages, the Bible says that the dragon gave him his power, his seat and great authority. Where did the power, seat and great authority of the church of the dark ages originate from? Any historian knows it originated from imperial Rome. 
And so when the Bible says that the United States will speak like a dragon, the Bible says that the United States will speak like the Roman Empire once spoke. Sydney Morning Herald, some years ago, September 20, 2002. Now the US dominates the world with the rise of the new age Roman Empire. People are coming out of the closet on the word empire. Americans should admit the truth and face up to their realities as the undisputed masters of the world. The fact is no country has been as dominant culturally, economically, technologically and militarily in the history of the world since the Roman Empire. There it is. Even in today's world, China exists and acts as a response to the United States. The Bible says, then there's many different things we could look at right here, but let's look at verse 14. The Bible says that this second beast, the United States, deceives those that live on the earth by the means of the miracles which he has power to do in the sight of the first beast. We find a unity beginning to form between these two. Saying to those that live on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. There's a clue here. I hope you picked it up. It's kind of subtle. You see, the Bible says right here that the power in this nation rests with the people. Let's go through it again. He deceives those that lives on the earth by the means of the miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to those that live on the earth, those that live within his nation, that they... They are the ones who should make an image or a copy of the first beast. I want you to notice here where the power lies within the second beast, the sea beast. It is sometimes called in the book of Revelation. Where does the power lie? The power lies with the people to create a copy of the first beast. Well, if the power lies with the people to make that copy, then what kind of a government is being described here? This is certainly not a dictatorship. It is not a monarchy. This one is a government that is by the people and that is for the people. The Bible describes a republican form of government. That's exactly what you have, of course, in the United States. And the United States in the modern era was the first great nation to experiment with a truly democratic process, the most democratic process that had existed in the world since, watch this, the Roman Empire. The Bible says it would speak like a dragon, like the Roman Empire. And if you study the history of the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire, you can see the events of these two powers as they move from republicanism to being an empire, well, you can see it being mirrored in the United States right now. Let's face it. Let's look at the history over the last 12 months and see the power that is being gathered together in the crises that have been taking place. And let's be real about things. Verse 12, the Bible says, He exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And causes, why is this relevant? He causes or forces the earth and those which live therein 
to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Once you notice that there is a coalition that is forming right here, a coalition between two great world powers. The Bible predicts it. We're looking back in recent history. We can certainly see this coalition beginning to form, beginning to form during the last years of the Cold War. If you think back to relatively recent events, when a Polish pope was elected, And Poland was used like a dagger in the soft underbelly of communist Europe to bleed the whole system dry. And you see the great alliance that was built between the United States and the Vatican right through those 1980s that brought about the end of communism. We see the beginnings of this coalition starting to form right here. The Bible goes on and says he does great wonders, making fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. I want you to notice here, and this is a theme that you're going to find right the way through this passage. And that theme is very simple. It is the theme of miracles. You have the theme of miracles being used to deceive. A fascination with the supernatural and the miraculous. Not an emphasis on the word of God, Not an emphasis on those two horns, those two lamb-like horns, Jesus Christ. But an emphasis on the sensational. An emphasis on the sensational that so dulls people's senses that their rights and freedoms are being taken away and they really have no idea what it is that is taking place around them. The Bible says that these deceptions will be used to bring about the agenda. An agenda to create a copy, an image, a carbon version of what had existed during the Dark Ages. You know, when you see the Bible prophesying this right here, it's hard to imagine that any such thing could ever take place. But I want you to think about those who first read this prophecy back in the early 1800s and and have gone, you know what, this is the United States. This was a time when America was just a small, fragile nation just trying to find its place in the world. It was a bold experiment that no one expected to be successful. But people said, no, this country will be the final superpower. And they were not wrong. And when the Bible says that this country will speak like a dragon... And then it will form a carbon copy of the kind of tyranny that existed during the Dark Ages. I think if you're a close follower of events taking place in our world, you will once again have no doubt that what the Bible says here is exactly correct. Let's return and consider the events of 1798. The year before, 1797, Pius VI had been on his deathbed. There was no hope for his recovery. And on his death, the political power of the Vatican was to come to an end. And yet, to everyone's surprise and shock, he made a miraculous recovery. Think about it, friends. If Pius VI had died in 1797, or if General Napoleon had invaded the Vatican that year, as he had been instructed to by the French directorate, the prophecy would have missed by one year. We might say that's not much when, you know, the prophecy spans 1,260 years. 
But we do not serve a God of approximates, but a God of exactitudes. God said it would be exactly 1260 years, and it was exactly that. Not a year short, not a year long, but right on time. It reminds me of another time prophecy. The Bible says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Jesus came as the fulfillment of time prophecy. He came right on time as predicted and just as he came exactly as predicted in the past, he is coming again. You can trust every word of his prophecies because every word will take place. And as he came exactly as predicted in the past, he will return exactly as predicted in the very near future. Let me ask you, friends, do you want to be ready for Jesus to come back? If you do, the very simple thing that you can do right now is give your life to him. We are so glad you've joined us here on the N.Digital for America and the End. And really, in this short series, we've just managed to scratch the surface of everything the Bible has to say about what is happening in our world right now. And because of that, we would like to extend to you a free offer. If you would like to have personal Bible studies, or if you would like to have a copy of my Bible study series, a series of Bible study guides called The Prophetic Code, then we would like to give those to you for free. Simply call or text the number that you see on your screen right now. We would love to hear from you. Good evening and welcome back to our America and the End live Q&A session. My name is Matt Parr, one of the producers of this program, and we're just so happy that you're here joining us this evening. Um, I'm here with our speakers, Sharissa Tarosian, Justin Tarosian, and Lyle Southwell, and uh, if you're joining us again for the third time, good on you, mate. We're so happy that you've chosen to, uh, to participate with us. We decided, as I've said before, to have a live Q&A every evening after each presentation because we want to hear from the people who are listening in, and we want to know what you're thinking. We want to uh, field your questions and know what you'd like to know more about. Um, I've had a good time the last few nights. I think you guys have enjoyed Definitely. the live Q&A. We've we had too much fun. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, we've, yeah, we've got a lot of positive feedback. We've gotten even some good construction, constructive criticism from some of our viewers, uh, which has been really helpful. I'll try to implement the constructive <laughs> criticism. I don't know how well I'll do, but we'll see how we go, right? Right. Okay, guys, so while you guys are preparing your thoughts and considering what questions you'd like to ask our presenters... I've got a prepared question here that I'd like to ask to Lyle um, in regards to tonight's presentation. You presented to us um, the fact that the second power represented by the Earth beast in Revelation 13 is the United States of America. Um, could you tell us who was the first person like that we know of who came to this understanding from Scripture? Because it's definitely scriptural. It's compelling what you shared. Um, Who's the first person who came up with this idea? Yeah, well, you kind of expect that, you know, maybe 
uh, immediately after 1798 that they may have been able to identify exactly who it was. But the world was in turmoil. You had this tiny little nation uh, of or, or, or collection of states, mm. you know, on the on the east coast of America that was, you know, pretty insignificant. In fact, incredibly insignificant. And so nobody was really looking there at the time. They all recognized, a lot of, you know, Bible students recognized that this new nation was about to rise to power. They just didn't know where to look. And it took about 50 years from the research that Justin and I have been able to do on this subject. It was about 50 years before Bible students suddenly realized exactly which nation it was that was being pinpointed. And the earliest record that we can find is from 1850, 1851, fellow by the name of John Andrews, um, who identified it. And of course, you know, it was easily recognizable. As soon as somebody pointed it out, you know, it was like, oh yeah, okay, how did we miss that? Although we do have to point this out, that in 1850, 1851, the population of the United States was just, I want you to think about this, it was just 23 million. Wow. So you've got, what, 330, 350 million or something there now? Just 23 million. So that's significantly less than the population of Australia right now. Mm. And Australia, it really is, on the world scale, a very small nation. Mm. Now, if Bible expositors at the time had simply been, you know, read the Bible, uh, let's look out into the world and let's see what looks like it might be, you know, the great superpower, they would have looked at the British Empire. Mm, The British Empire in 1850-51 were numbered 412 million people compared to 23 million. Yeah, right. And it ruled over one out of every five people on the planet. Mm. It covered 25% of the land area of our world. And so if you were simply going to say, oh, we've got to look for another superpower, you would have said, well, it's the British Empire. That's obvious. Bible expositors came along and said, no, it's actually the United States... And a lot of people went, no, surely not that little insecure, obscure country down there. And then, of course, you know, when the Civil War came along, everybody thought, well, that's the end of the United States. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be a superpower except for Bible expositors. Mm. The Bible expositors, they stuck by their guns. They stayed with it because they're like, no, this is what the Bible says. And now, of course, you know, um, Justin's great-great-grandmother wrote about it all the way back then, mm. yes. and uh, in, in the clearest way, she wrote about it in the Great Controversy book that we're giving out right now. Yes. You have to read those chapters in the context of America being a very small, insignificant country. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, wow, you know, and we get to live now where we see the Bible being fulfilled. It's so exciting. That's amazing. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic answer. Um, so I have a second follow-up question to that, and I'd like to direct it to Justin. Um and this is my question. I've got two questions that have come in thus far, but I want to ask this to get us get the ball rolling. Sure. Um, and that is, so in your estimation, because Lyle presented a few different arguments for the identification of that second power as the United States, mm. um, to you, what's the most compelling argument for this identif- this this power to be the United States of America? And you can even you can answer however you want. Don't have to just sure, mention yeah. one feature, but maybe you want to. You know, there are so many descriptors here. Um, I think one of the very most compelling is the first one that's given. Okay. Uh, it, we call it the Earth Beast of Revelation 13 because it's the only beast. And we saw last night and again tonight, a beast represents a kingdom in Bible prophecy. It's the only beast ever in the Bible that comes up out of the earth. And this is something that happens with no other beast. And at this point in history, 
um, the United States was one of the only territories that was really uh, an, a very sparsely populated place. Of course, there were different Native American tribes that were uh, warring often with each other and some allied together, of course. But by and large, the Western Hemisphere, specifically North America, was very sparsely populated. And I think it's significant and it rules out a whole bunch of other kingdoms that mm -hmm. arose around this time, nations that arose around this time. Uh, when you say, you'll see that it rose up in a sparsely populated area. Yes. You know, you could say Australia, um, you know, is a relatively sparsely populated area. And that's true. But I think Lyle answered really clearly in the presentation uh, why biblically looking at the descriptors in this passage, Australia can't fulfill uh, these, you know, these indicators. And so if you missed that, check it out because he gave some time to it, more time than we'll spend just here. Well, Australia was over over 100 years too late. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. 1901, yeah. you know, it's not, too late. Not only that, but we have, we come under the monarchy. That's and right. There are no crowns on the horns Ooh. of this beast. There yes. are crowns on the horns yes. of the priests. Yes. yes. I think that's the most compelling, um, yes. com convincing, compelling argument that it can't be Australia because there are no crowns. It's mm. a really Unlike good the other, it's, other it's, it's a nation that's identifying when, it, when you've got a, a nation that has a beast that has no crowns, you've got a nation that is ruled by the people for the people. Yes. That's the United States. That's a Republican form of government. It's a Republican form of government. For mm. those of you guys who don't know, Republicanism is the form of government. Governance where you have representative leadership. So your leaders don't rule you, they represent you. Mm. And that's reflected in the prophecy, how the horns, which represent the power uh, behind the nation, um, there's no crown. That's mm. a fantastic observation, uh, Sharissa. Thank you for that. Citizens rather than subjects. Mm. That's right. That's right. You're mm. a private citizen with certain rights, and you are not to be ruled. You're to be represented by those people who you elect and give power in your country. And this is a really, really great point. All these characteristics of this power, the second power of Revelation 13, I think they combine to make such a clear case for this being the United States of America. And I think it's fantastically, I don't know how to say, even express it well enough, really exciting, mm. as Lyle said, to live in a time where the prophetic picture that God gave to a man 2,000 years ago is like here. Like, we see mm -hmm. it. We can, we can see it. And it's like, whoa, how did this guy know this? He had to have insight from God. And so, this is a testimony to the veracity of mm -hmm. the Bible. Amen. And it shows us that this is a serious book. It demands our attention. And we should study it. Mm -hmm. We should study it. And that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. What we're doing is because we know people are out there who are interested in learning more about God's Word. And so you keep seeing a number flashing on your screen um, saying, for more information, call this number. You can call or text the number that flashes on your screen, and you can just text, hey, I'd like more information. We'll send you Bible study guides. Even if there was someone out there who said, I'd like to study the Bible with another person, we've got a whole team of people who'd love to come and join you and visit with you and, and actually sit down and study God's Word and help you understand it. Um, okay, so we've got uh, to get to some questions here. And uh, there, it's like I want to be a little bit picky tonight, um, and I want to let you guys know that we are going to prioritize the questions uh, that have the most to do with the presentation for the evening, and then kind of triage our questions in, in that kind of a way. So some of the ones that aren't about the evening, they're really good questions. So yeah. keep sending them we'll, through. Yes, yeah. Um, and if we don't get to answer them here, we'll send you a we'll send you. A That's right. We'll, we'll answer every question we get, but yeah. So if we can. All right, this is this is good. It's relevant enough 
because you read verses about this question. Junior from YouTube is wanting to know, if someone can talk more about the fire that comes down from heaven in Revelation chapter 13. Well, there are a couple of instances in the Bible where fire did come down from heaven. The first one that I can think of, and maybe I'm missing one, is in First Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah is on the top of Mount Carmel, and he challenges the false prophets of Baal to a duel to say, well, let the God who is God answer by fire from heaven. And he gets them to build an altar and put sacrifice and drench it with water. And they called out on their God all day. Nothing happened. But the moment the prayerful words of Elijah left his lips, fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. So that was a, a fire coming to prove um, that, that the true God was yes. God. The other time I can think of is in... Um, in the book of Acts, where there were tongues mm. of fire on the yeah. day of Pentecost that came and appeared. So, Justin, can you help me to draw a good illustration? Yeah, I, I think it's um, it, it's powerful to note that this this earth beast that uh, calls down fire from heaven in the presence of the inhabitants of the earth this gives um, this gives credibility to the beast in the eyes of the people. Mm. And so, as Shabbat tied those two things together, first, God calling, uh, sending fire down from heaven to demonstrate that He was God. Uh, there was this battle of worship, and at the end of time, we see there's this battle between, you know, who will you worship? Will you worship the beast and his image, or worship the true God? So this beast will call down this fake fire, basically from heaven, um, and. As she mentioned, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was symbolized by tongues that looked like fire over the heads of the disciples. And so we see that within this beast would become, and I think this is one of the applications of this because it very well could be that at the end of time, fire will physically come down out of heaven as a miracle for people to believe and to worship the image of the beast. Um, but symbolically speaking, fire being a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it's significant that there is a false Holy Spirit movement at the end of time. A people group uh, and people who believe that it's the Holy Spirit working these miracles through them and doing these things, but in reality, it's a false Holy Spirit yes. uh, movement. Awesome. You know, a miracle is evidence of supernatural power. But it's not necessarily evidence of divinity. Mm. The Bible says in Revelation 16, 14, that demons will work miracles at the end of time. Mm. And so a lot of people are just like Sharissa mentioned last night. Uh, a lot of atheists, they're like, hey, if I see a miracle, if I see it, I'll believe it. Wow. But until then, I won't. Mm. Well, a lot of people are, are ready to be deceived at the end of time. That's right. And um, there's already a massive movement afoot where this is happening. One other verse on this, Matthew 24, verse 24, the words of Jesus, he says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and mm. wonders at the end of time to deceive, yeah. if possible, even the elect. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent, guys. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I, I couldn't uh, give a better answer if I prepared for a week. So, yeah, good job, guys. And, and it's interesting, hey, how the two became one, right? <laughs> Like the wife begins the answer, the husband finishes it, and they've only been married for what, like just a year, a year and a half. He's got a really wet right here. They've already basically like merged, you know. They're like an elderly couple. But fantastic answer, guys. Uh, praise Thank God you so much. Um, okay, awesome. Thank you, Junior, for the good, good, good uh, question. Josh is wanting to know from Facebook what will the near future of the United States be in light of Revelation 13. Mm. So we look at the United States of America, we can see it's identified 
in Revelation 13, and he's saying, what does the future of the United States then look like because of what we're seeing? Mm. And Lyle, you want to... Yeah, so who? So, 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 so uh, what's going to happen next Wednesday? <laughs> the election. Yes. Okay, well, the Bible says... No. Okay, the Bible does not say what's going to happen next Wednesday. Uh, it's Tuesday for Americans, the election, Wednesday for us. Okay. Yes. Wednesday for Australia. This is Australia. Yes, sorry, no. This end of the table. No, the, uh, the Bible doesn't say the nitty-gritty. The Bible gives you the big picture, and this is very, very typical of Bible prophecy. It doesn't so often give you the small details. Sometimes it does. But typically, it gives you the big picture. And so when you look at the big picture, the next steps, and I would say that these are steps that have been in process since at least the 1980s. And that's Mm -hmm. the great thing about living right now, is that you can read through these verses right here, and you can actually look back in the past and you can see how they have been being fulfilled already. You can see the process of it happening so that we know that it's in process right now. Um, the, the major players are in place. They are ready to go. They have been acting in coalition for a considerable amount of time. Mm. But the very significant event that you've got in Revelation 13 is this coalition that is forming between the first beast and the second beast, mm-hmm. where they're uniting together. You know, they're sort of, as it were, reaching out, you know, across the gulf, so to speak, uh, to, to, uh, to form an alliance together in relationship to worship. Mm-hmm. So the theme in Revelation 13 is all about worship. In fact, the theme in the book of Revelation, the theme at the end of time, it is all about worship. If you go, you know, Revelation chapter 13 and uh, verse 3, they worship the dragon which, which gave power to the beast. They worship the beast. Go to verse 8. All those that live upon the earth worship the beast. You go down to, uh, let me see here, verse uh, 12. Um, and the Bible says he forces, you know, the earth and those which live therein to worship the first, first beast. Verse 15, uh, end of verse 15, he forces that as many as would not worship the image of the beast which should be killed. Mm. And so the issue is worship. Mm-hmm. The, they've been repeated five times in 12 verses. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, God is really emphasizing this. The issue at the end of time is who you worship. Now, we could then ask the question, well, what does that actually mean? Uh, what, what is worship? And, and, and if you talk to a Christian, you know, Christians often say, well, you know, I go to church and I worship, or I sing and I worship, I pray and I worship, I read the Bible, I worship, I spend nature, you know, time in nature and I worship. Those are all a part of worship. But at its highest level, worship is the total surrender of yourself, the total submission. Mm. Of yourself to somebody else in obedience. Mm. When you totally give yourself to somebody else, you do what they say Mm -hmm. without asking because you love them. Mm -hmm. And that is the highest level of worship. Total submission to God. So good. Yeah, please, Sharissa, take us away. The very first mention of the word worship in the Bible is in Genesis 22, Mm. where Abraham, because he's totally surrendered to God, Follows God's command to take his son and offer him Isaac on Mount Moriah. Mm. That's that's worship. That's worship. Mm. Oh, really and, interesting. And keep watching because yes. um, the next two presentations are about the U.S. Constitution and what um, you know what that says, the freedoms it enshrines, uh, and then the next two are about the image of the beast. 
which is, uh, to answer your question, pretty much the next thing in Revelation chapter 13. Yes. So we're going to be answering in much more detail in the times to come and sharing about what's happening in current events um, as far as Revelation 13 goes. Excellent. Yeah, if, if, if the prophecy says the United States has horns like a lamb, it's to say the foundational principles that inform its system of law or its constitutional like framework are good. They're, they're, they're wonderful. Um, and so in order to, to speak like a dragon, you would have to uh, violate those constitutional principles. And that's what's mm. being predicted is that we're going to see an erosion of the constitutional rights that have been provided to people in the United States of America. And that's going to affect the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. That's right. um, and so, okay, uh, let's uh, go on to our next question. We've got a couple really good ones and everyone's asking questions that are right along tonight's topic, right? They're relevant to tonight's topic. Um, Priestly 77 is asking from YouTube. So if the beast does miracles, how are we to know what is true and what is not? Great question. The Bible gives us a really good counsel. And in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, it says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, God's word, there is no light in them. And so even though uh, often signs and wonders affect our senses, Mm -hmm. but we can't go on our senses because Satan is attacking even us through our senses at the end of time. So we have to use God's word to be the test of every experience. And if it doesn't align, if what happens doesn't align with his word, then we know that it is not something that we need to be um, excited about. The other thing that I'd like to just highlight is that, you know, at the end of time, there's going to be, as as already been hinted at, the world will be polarized into two groups. One will be happy to worship God, and the other one's going to say, if you don't do what we say, we'll kill you. That's coming. I probably shouldn't have uh-huh. said that. Anyway, oh, it's in the, chapter. It's in the Bible. But, <laughs> but, but there's a difference between unity in the spirit and the spirit of unity. And uh, we want to have be united on God's word, mm-hmm. on truth. That's what God wants us to have in our hearts and as we come together, but not Good. just coming together for the sake of coming together. Mm-hmm. If yeah. we have revival without reformation, you have fanaticism. And if you have reformation without revival, you get legalism. So we want revival and reformation. We want God's word mm-hmm. to guide us in our lives. Excellent. Yeah, such a good answer. Um, I can see it's it's so great to be in my position because I get to see two <laughs> spirit-filled preachers who love God's word, who are like uh, uh, both of you. Justin. <laughs> okay, so what we're gonna do is to decide who gets to answer the next question. I've decided is a is a thumb wrestle. Oh, well, maybe rocks, 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 rocks paper. Rocks mm. paper. Okay, is that um, a three? Yeah, no. Um, any, wow, any, any, no. Okay, <laughs> Justin, go ahead. I've been oh. counting words. You've spoken less. Sorry. You can ask another one, or you mean that one? Did you want to comment on this? Oh, I think oh, you she did. did a great job. Okay. You know, Isaiah eight twenty. Um, just to okay, reiterate, no, okay, in the early your chance. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Sorry, Lord. Yeah. In the New Testament, <laughs> we choice. see we see very clearly a uh, you know we see very clearly in the New Testament there were miracles that were worked, but people didn't believe just because of the miracles. They had to be based upon the Word of God and in line with the Word of God. Revelation sixteen verse fourteen says that uh, the devil will try to deceive people and that demons will work miracles. And so, yeah, if we just follow our senses, like Sharissa said, then, you know, we're liable to be deceived. 
But if we run everything through the filter of the Bible, the filter of the Word of God, uh, then we can be safe. And I think Lyle may have a verse. No, I, no, he's. We've just decided before the evening that only two people get to answer uh, each question. So, uh, no, go ahead, Lyle. We're not legalists here. Okay, just just think about this passage while I read it. Just just let it soak in. Okay, here it comes. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Oh, yeah, this is good. Okay? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful miracles? Mm. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Miracles are real. God does miracles, but that's not how we judge truth. The Bible says it's not necessarily those who are doing miracles that go to heaven, it's those who obey, Mm. who do the will of the Father. Why do they obey? Because they love Him. Amen. You can't obey to be saved. You obey because you mm. are. Amen. Amen. Yeah, good stuff. That was so good. I'm going to resist the temptation to add to that answer. Good job, guys. If we have a time at the end of this, I'll, I'm going to say some things about that. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, Brian is uh, asking a question from YouTube. And uh, good to see you again, Brian. Thank you for being with us. Uh, hey, I used to believe uh, that uh, from that, the sp- sorry, I, the question, the, the language is a bit. Um, it was typed in a hurry. Yeah, it was typed in a hurry. Thank you for the politically correct answer. Um, hey, I used to believe from that the one who spoke like a dragon part of Revelation 13 was in the future, but now understanding slavery as it was, it is clear that the dichotomy was at the start. That's a comment, not mm. a question. And I'm going to say something about that. And please, uh, after, yeah, sure. uh, join in. Um, yeah, the, the text of Scripture does not say that it has horns like a lamb and then eventually speaks like a dragon. It says it has horns like a lamb, but speaks or speaks as a dragon. And so... Mm. Um, the dichotomy does, as far as we're aware, from the prophecy and from what we observe in history, start from the very beginning. The inconsistencies have already always been there. The you almost want to say hypocrisy between uh, the hop, hop, hypocrisy of the nation has always been there. The grand legal profession versus the actions of the nation. Now, many of the actions of the United States have been absolutely, unbelievably amazing. Um, if it wasn't for the United States of America's military power, we would all be speaking German now, and many of us would not be in existence, or we'd be slaves in death camps in Eastern Europe or something. Um, so, or, or, you know, if you're in Australia, you'd be speaking Japanese, uh, and your lot would be a lot worse than it is today. And so the United States of America is a dichotomy. That is to mm. say, it's, it's hard to really understand. It's a contradiction in terms, and it has been from the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah, evidently, for sure. Justin. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's a, a really interesting uh, wood pictograph cutout that a guy named Uriah Smith did. It was recently discovered by a friend of mine named Kevin Burton. He's a teacher at a university in Tennessee. He's a history professor and teaches the Bible as well. And um, it has the, the earth beast, the sea beast in the background of the picture, uh, the earth beast there. And, um, and I wish we could just show you on the screen, but, what year uh, is that one that was from the I think it's 1858 or 54. I can't quite remember. I was trying to pull it up on my computer here, but, 
Um, yeah, it was from the 1850s. And the, these individuals recognized, and across the bottom, there were two words. And it said, and across the top said, the United States in Bible prophecy in Revelation 13. And uh, the words across the bottom on these banners were creeds. And the second one was slavery. And so Christians in the 18th, as early as the 1850s recognized, it's not just something yet future, but there are aspects of the United States that, that are speaking like a dragon now. The Constitution and the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, and yet having slavery alive and well in the South and laws protecting that, that was a contradiction. And Christians recognized it then. And uh, as we talked about in night one, there were even laws that the Puritans passed all across, you know, the 13 colonies that were enforcing worship way back then, many of which are still on the United States law books in, I think, 30 of the 50 states. And so, yeah, that's a great point, Brian. It was in reality then, um, but in its fullest sense, the United States will eventually speak like a dragon when the last part of Revelation 13 is fulfilled, where the image of the beast is, um, people are forced to worship the image of the beast, and if they're not, uh, their life is threatened. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it will really come, I guess you could say, to its, uh, to the fullness. But yes. you're right, even back in the 1850s and before people recognized this. Amazing. And so now I've got a question that's come to my mind for you guys. And two questions, actually. Uh, the first is, uh, what relevance does this have, what we're talking about? The inconsistencies of the United States for the rest of the world. Now, the easy answer is, well, the Bible says that, that uh, through the power of the U.S., through the influence of the U.S., a system, a worldwide system is going to be uh, created that's going to be similar to the ancient world. So a bad situation is going to come about. But um, is there any other way we could explain that? Like, how would you say that just to any old person? Like, okay, what relevance is there for me? How does that in any way find relevance in our world specifically? So the inconsistencies of America, how's that relevant to our world? Okay, so I might be missing part of your question here. I'm not sure, but let me just say a couple of things I think are relevant to this because when you study through Revelation chapter 13, and you see it being fulfilled, it's like, okay, why did God write this? Did God write this just mm-hmm. to tantalize our minds? Or was there a deeper purpose in mind to what God is actually saying mm-hmm. right here in this passage? And I think there are a number of deeper purposes. I'll just give one, just one as an example. The Bible describes you know, the events that take place before the return of Christ as being like birth pains. Now, um, these guys don't have kids yet, but Matt, you and I do. Uh Imagine if, and this does happen from time to time, uh, imagine if you were a woman and you fell pregnant, but you did not know you had fallen pregnant until the day that you gave birth. It's not unheard of. It has happened on occasion. And imagine that you suddenly go into labor and you don't know what's going on. You don't know where this pain is coming from. You don't know, you know what's happening. You go to the hospital. Nobody says anything. Nobody tells you what's <laughs> wrong with you. You're going through excruciating, agonizing pain. You think your body is being torn in half. You've no idea what is happening. Mm-hmm. That would be traumatic, incredibly traumatic. Then think of the alternative. You know, fall pregnant. That's great. All of the signs are there that you're pregnant. So you go, go to the doctor. You find out, yep. Uh, I'm pregnant, and then you go through all the whole prenatal classes, you find out how everything's going to take place, everything is explained in great detail. When the time comes, you go to the hospital, yes, there's a lot of pain that goes along with that. You go through pain to a blessed experience, 
um, but through that whole process, you've got people that are, are guiding you. You've got the book that is taking you through the process. Mm. And this is one of the just amazing things about Bible prophecy. 2020 is one of those years that I think most of us would just like to delete. <laughs> you know, let's just get rid of 2020. It has been incredibly traumatic for a lot of people. Mm. And yet, 2020 has been nothing like as tra- traumatic for people who understand and know Bible prophecy mm. as it has for those who don't. True. You know, there are a lot of people out in our world right now. They're looking out at what is going on in the world. They are actually very, very stressed and even traumatized through what's happening in our world right now. You have riots and pandemics and, you know, I don't know, it's been flooding here, droughts last year. Um, where, where does the, where does the list end? Mm. Climate change, whatever you want to talk about, uh, people are being traumatized by what's happening in the world. We have the advantage because we've read the end of the book. Mm. We know how it ends. Mm. And it ends with the return of Jesus. Mm. It ends with victory. It ends with the establishment of God's kingdom of love here on this earth. Mm. And this is the really good thing. The Bible is not about doom and gloom. Some people are like, oh, you're going to preach Revelation. That's all about doom and gloom. No, the Bible is not about doom and gloom. The Bible is about the establishment of God's kingdom of love. The Bible is about victory. Mm. Amen. Now, the Bible is being real with us and saying, yes, there's some tough times to go through that birth process to get to that blessed experience mm. when there's just love and joy and peace and happiness. Mm. Yes. Amen. Excellent, man. Thank you so much for that. Um, we got one more question we're going to field this evening, but before we do, I just wanted to uh, point out that when the text of Scripture, as was already communicated tonight, I'm not sure if it was in your presentation, Lyle, or if it was something that Justin said in this Q&A time. It was both. I think it was both. And that is that when the Bible says that the United States of America has lamb-like horns, but speaks as a dragon, it's saying that it functions similar to, especially at the very end, like an empire, right? It's not, it's not necessarily an insult. It's not saying... This is an evil, a country that's more evil than other countries. It's saying that although it has this grand legal profession, it's just like every other nation. I think that's really important to, to comprehend and to understand. In Revelation 12, the dragon is, is primarily a representation of Satan, but secondarily a representation of the power that Satan was working through. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the Roman Empire. And so to say that the United States has horns like a lamb, but then speaks like a dragon. It's not saying it's a satanic nation. It's saying it's, it's like it functions like all other world empires, a normal human empire that exists for the same purposes. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really unfortunate. Um, what the injustices that have been committed in the United States and that are predicted to be committed by the United States, the system of government, the universal global system of government that is to be that the United States is going to be a part of, that the United States works to form, um, it, 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 all that bad is, is not necessarily an indication that America is worse than other nations. It's just an indication that the America is like the other nations. Mm. You kind of get what I'm saying? So the Bible is, is pointing out inconsistency here. Mm. It's not highlighting the nation as worse than other nations. It's just saying it's just like other nations. Yeah. Because by the standard of most classical civilizations, these injustices aren't really that big of a deal. It's just what other nations have always done. So if you want to point at the United States, and so, and I say this because there are very extreme views out there. Mm. There are people who have these really extreme views about the United States and say that because there were 
there was the practice of slavery in the United States. The United States is exceptionally an evil nation. Mm. But in saying that, they're utterly ignorant of the history of the world. That slavery was a universal evil that was common to all powers on the planet at the time. And what's unique about the United States is not that there was slavery, it's that Western nations like the United States ended slavery. Mm. And that was because of the system of government mm. and the value system that the people adopted because of that, that led them to the conclusion, hey, this isn't right. Mm. So we've got to stop it. But by the value systems of other empires and, and, and conquering powers of antiquity, America did nothing wrong, has done nothing wrong by those moral value system. It's the moral value system of Protestant Christianity, of Christianity that, yeah. that, that we see has been violated. Yeah. So the, the evil of America is not that it's worse than other nations, it's that it has a better profession but doesn't live up to it. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And if I may just jump in at, on yeah. to... Uh, and then we're going to skip Lyle the last said. question and go... No, we'll, sure. we'll one no, 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 this will be quick, specifically quick. So yeah. I think what brings encouragement out of Revelation 13 to me, why it matters is... Uh, we hear all of these terrible things in Revelation 13. It's all a dark picture. Um, but these are to contrast what God does and what God is. Um, the beast sets up an image and forces all to worship. God wants to recreate his image in you, in me. And worship is optional, but it's something that naturally happens for those who love him. There's the dragon and the beast. Well, they come up from the earth. Well, Jesus is soon coming down from the sky to rescue his people. We see this contrast in Revelation 13, and it points us to the good news of Revelation 14 that we're going to cover in the second to last message that Sharissa preaches, um, number eight out of the, the nine-part series. And so, yeah, it points us to Christ, and it gives us hope. Oh, fantastic. Okay, last question from John. This is a great last name, um, but I'm not going to say it because I've committed not to say anyone's <laughs> last name. Uh, okay, so John on YouTube has asked... Do you think that laws potentially en enacted in the United States of America will be enforced in China, Nepal, Vanuatu, etc.? If so, how do you think this might occur? Good question. Mm. I'll leave that up to you guys to choose who wants to, to answer it. Go, Lyle. Revelation 17 <laughs> describes glo the globalization of our world at the end of time. Mm. And so if you go to Revelation 17, verse 12, the Bible says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So I want to put a bit of context here. Ten in the Bible. I'm going to move quickly. This is a whole presentation that you're going to get in two minutes, okay? This is an hour-long presentation in two minutes. So here we go. Hold on. See how well you do. Ten in the Bible symbolizes the whole world. So you have ten virgins, ten horns, ten toes, um, Etc. So the 10 comes up a number of times and it speaks about the whole world. The kings, obviously, is language that describes the political leaders of the world. So once you notice here, the Bible says 10 kings, the political leaders of the world, which have received no kingdom. That word is singular. That's interesting. So there's a form of unity that is taking place at the end of time. Uh, received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. So the, the central player here at the very end is the beast. When the Bible says the beast here, it's not referring to the second beast, the land beast. It's actually referring to the sea beast. Now, a lot of people, they say, well, what, what will this actually look like? Will this mean that all national sovereignty will disappear? And so that, you know, what will the, uh, the ones here, Vanuatu, China, Nepal, will have American legislation? No. No, that's not what it says. Notice what it says. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. So the, the sea beast that comes back to power 
its deadly wound is healed, becomes the unifying force around which the nations of the world unite with one mind. So national sovereignty has not disappeared here. Mm -hmm. There is just one purpose in mind, and the role that the United States plays in that is not getting rid of national sovereignty. Mm -hmm. The role it plays is drawing people's attention to the coalition that that it's creating with the first beast to force people that direction. Mm, that's brilliant. It's a, such a such a good answer. And so the United States of America is not being predicted to like dominate the world and like tell everyone what laws they must have, but rather it's it's almost it serves to be a galvanizing influence that brings nations together around over the issue of worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not about, you know, this law, that law, the other law. The issue at the end of time is all about worship. Who do you submit to? Mm. That's right. Who do you worship? And just another clue that this is a global thing, not just the USA thing, is in Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12, especially verse 6, it talks about a message from heaven that goes to the whole world. And if you keep reading, Mm. in verse 9, it actually gives us, it's talking about stuff that's mentioned in Revelation 13 that God's Mm -hmm. wanting to make everybody, the whole world, aware of. Fantastic. Well, um, there, you know, there's, I really feel bad because there was this question and I'm just going to address it for half a second because it's so personal and so meaningful. Uh, Rose on YouTube asked, if a loved one dies, this is not specifically related to the topic, but it's a general question that's important. She asked, if a loved one dies, do they go to heaven if they were a good person but did not believe in God or Jesus? Now, I won't answer this perfectly, Rose, but I think you'll be able to get some value from what I'm going to say. Uh, Jesus Christ says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I heard a preacher once say that Jesus is the only way to the Father, but that doesn't mean that everyone who makes it to the Father are going to know that they were mm. in the way. Mm. Um, now, there are indications in the Bible, many, that there will be people saved into eternity who did not know the truth of the gospel, did not have all light and understanding about God and his plan to save the human race. Um, one indication of this is in Romans chapter 2, in the Apostle Paul, speaking about the Jewish nation, and then also non-Jews, he says that those that don't have the law, this is the scriptures, who do those things that are contained within the law, they become a witness unto themselves, both... Um, their conscience both accusing and excusing them. And so, in essence, if if you want to distill what that says down, you just simply say, God works through people's consciences, and as they respond to his guiding of their conscience, um, they are then accepted by God. Like, like, there's a verse in Romans 8, 16 that says, whoever is led by the Spirit of God, the same is a son of God. Mm. Okay, so God is merciful and doesn't judge you according to what you don't know. He judges you according to what you do know. Mm. And there's texts that say things like, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin, in James 4.17. And in times of ignorance, in Acts 17.31, God winks. And so God doesn't look down and judge the world based on what information you had or didn't have and what you could and couldn't commit to. God judges you on the basis of how did you respond mm. to the leading of his spirit in your heart and in your mind. Now, of course, the more you know, the more knowledge and truth you have, 
the better equipped you are to make a good decision. And so it's, it's vital, it's important that we teach people the truth of God's word so they can have a better opportunity to follow God's spirit and his leading in their life. Mm. But God is not going to deem people lost simply because they didn't happen to be born in the right place or be positioned correctly in space and time to hear the name Jesus mm. and verbalize the name Jesus and confess Jesus. So uh, it, there's, a, there's better answers that can be given than that and more comprehensive ones, but I would just simply say there will be people, according to the Bible, in heaven who did not know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but who were atoned for by Jesus Christ and who responded to the Spirit that was given to them uh, by Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said in one part of the Gospel, there, will many, many who, who, there are many who will come from east and west, mm. speaking of non-Jewish people, people who are not a part of the body of Christ, and they will take their place at the table, at God's table, with Abraham, Isaac, mm. and Jacob. And so, yeah. Yeah, rest assured that God is a faithful and merciful judge. Mm. And um, But being good at the same time does not guarantee heaven either. Being, it's only by the goodness of Jesus that any of us... It's only by the goodness there. of God. And, and take courage knowing, as, as Matt brought out, that God is doing everything he can to get your loved ones, to get each of us into heaven. Not checking every little thing to try to keep us out. That's uh, right. And he's a faithful, merciful judge. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure as it has been the last few nights to be with you. Thank you for joining us. God bless you guys. We're praying for you. Take good care of yourself. And until next week, God bless.